0: song Zacchaeus was a wee little man (laughs) good for those y'all who know it limber up your voices and get ready we're gonna sing it (laughs) all right I need everybody just to get in are we in are we in y'all ready let's begin Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he there's more of you that know this Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm coming to your house today. That's it. Give yourselves a hand. (laughs) My favorite song and my favorite story from my growing up. That is the one. My wife, Jubi, who is just up here on stage, she grew up in a South Indian Syrian Orthodox church, and they sang, from coming to your house for tea. It's a big difference. Big difference. Um, the song doesn't capture all of it, so let's read about it. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, and since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and, wel- and welcomed him gladly. All well, the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right. Uh, I was meditating on this recently, and I say this sometimes at church, and it's true. If we believe the same thing about Scripture that we believed 15, 20, 25 years ago, I don't think we're doing a good enough job of reading our Scripture. I don't think we're doing our due diligence. I think we're being a little bit lazy, in fact. That's right. I just called us lazy. Yeah. But when I was reading this, it was funny how quickly I was brought back to the Jesus of my childhood. It was funny how I was brought quickly back to the religion of my childhood. Because for me, when I heard this story, it sort of took on the same narrative every time. And unfortunately, I think this narrative is probably still true for many of us. And the narrative went something like this. Jesus saw Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was a bad man, right? We we, we automatically get that somehow. He's a bad man, and because he's a bad man, he's done something wrong. Jesus says, hey, I want to come to your house to confront you about your badness. What is it that he does? We're not sure. I didn't know when I was a kid. Something. Probably stole somebody's bike. (laughs) Regardless, Jesus shows up at his house, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you're not a good person. Do you know where you're going to go when you die? And Zacchaeus says, no. And Jesus says, then pray the sinner's prayer. And Zacchaeus says, okay, I will do it. And he does it, and he's saved, and he's going to heaven. Amen. No, no. None of that happened, because that's not a theology that's even in our Bible. That's some stuff we made up later on. All right? That's not true. So what is this Zacchaeus story really, really about? Well, the problem is I need to get over the idea of personal Christianity first and foremost. Okay, personal Christianity is a good thing. I'm glad that we can say we have a personal Savior. That's not bad. But if that's the only thing we're focusing on, well, we're doing a real damage to not only us, but we're doing a damage to our community. That's the truth of the matter. And so what happens is, is we, when we put our focus um, solely on this personalized idea of Christianity where I'm bad, but now Jesus sees me as good and now I'm going to go to heaven or whatever it may be, we absolve ourselves of any real Jesus following at all. Because you know who we're really following? You know who really we're worshiping? We're worshiping us. We're worshiping us. Why are we worshiping us? Because we are in control. We are the ones who decide whether we're good or bad. And so when we are Christians and we say I'm a Christian and um, I'm like Zacchaeus or whatever the case may be, what we're actually doing is we're saying uh, I control my destiny, I control my Christianity so long as I go to church every Sunday, good job, (laughs) no, okay. As long as I go to church every Sunday, so long as I pray, so long as I read the right way, so long as I believe the right things, and so long as I say and and believe that I'm a good person. How many people say, I'm all right, I'm a good person? None of y'all say that? (laughs) I guarantee three quarters of you have said that before. I'm a good person, I'm okay, right? That's what we've definitely done, and we are good people. But my point is this. My point is a personal Christianity misses what this Jesus thing and what Christ following is all about. It misses it. Why does it miss it? Well, I've said this before, but it is worth saying again because what it does is it takes the onus of responsibility off us when it comes to us communally. And when I'm saying communally, I'm saying like big, um, like you know, our city, our nation, whatever it might be, right? And so when we think about the issues of our time, when we think about racism, when we think about uh, marginalization of people, when we think about what other big issues are there, immigration, all the things we talk about every week. When we think about those, you know what we're able to do when Christianity is so personal. We're able to say things like this. We can say, well, that's not a social issue. That's a sin issue. How many times have you heard that before? A few people have heard that before. And what are we basically saying? We're basically saying, listen, I'm cool because I sat in a room and I told Jesus I wasn't sure I was going and I prayed the sinner's prayer. Now my sin is forgiven. So I'm absolved and I'm absolved of any responsibility to actually try and make things better. I don't have to because I'm taken care of and if you just were taken care of, then we wouldn't have racism, and we wouldn't have other systems that are broken, and we wouldn't have, you know, you name it, right? We wouldn't have those things. Instead of saying, because I'm a part of the kingdom of God, because God asked me to partner with God in creating peace in this kingdom, this is what religion is all about. I take part in changing systems, right? It's a big difference. Why do we have this? Where do we get this from? Well... I think part of it starts with the way we're thankful. Thankfulness, gratitude. How many people wake up and are thankful? Good. Way more people than got excited about going to church. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. We wake up and we're thankful. That's a good thing, by the way. To wake up and to be thankful is good. Um, To wake up and to be thankful, uh, sociologists have discovered that when you do this, uh, there's this beautiful Jewish tradition of waking up thankful. You wake up and you say, I'm thankful for my body, that it still works. I'm thankful that I have running water or water, period. I'm thankful that I have clothes. And when you say this, it changes your brain chemistry. And I recognize it's the third week in a row I'm talking about brain chemistry. Deal with it. It changes it. Changes your brain chemistry. Your brain chemistry, all of a sudden, you become more content. You become happier. People who have gratitude journals. Who has a gratitude journal? Anybody nice? I do, too. It's a good thing, right? And people who have gratitude beads or who think through gratitude, you are more content. You are more happy. Uh, Now, here's the thing that the same sociologists say. The same sociologists will say, that is great that you do that. But if your gratitude, if your thankfulness is solely personal, At some point, here's what's going to happen to you, you are going to become discontent. That's what's going to happen. So long as your gratitude is all about personal, is all about you, you will become discontent with what goes on in the world. Instead of saying, I'm thankful for, you'll start to say things like, well, I deserve this. Or that wasn't supposed to happen to me, which is true, right? Sometimes things aren't supposed to happen to us, and they do. Or, this person should do this for me. All of a sudden, we go from, I'm thankful, I'm happy, I'm content, to now I'm discontent. And sociologists will say the main reason that happens, the main reason is because the focus stays on me, us. That's what happens. So what do we do? How do we remedy that? Well, first we have to name it. Uh, Don Torrance, who's a deacon, he preached on this back in Thanksgiving time, which I'm sure you all remember. And he said this, he said, the issue becomes quid pro quo. How many people have heard of quid pro quo before? You've heard of it? Good. It literally translates into something for something. Something for something. I take you to the doctor. You are thankful, and you are going to do something for me. You're going to help me out with something. Where are my parents at? Parents? Just a couple of you? All right. Remember back in the day when it was like, I'll watch your kid. And, and that person was like, good, I'm thankful. But in the back of your mind, you're like, but you're going to watch my kid soon. <laughs> right? Right? Come on. Come on. Quid pro quo. Uh, Juby, uh, she taught in China for a year. And her students would give her gifts. And they would say, here's a gift because we love you. And Juby would say, thank you. And then she'd get ready for bed that night. And there would be a knock at the door. And it would be her students. And they would say, tutor us. And she would say, no. And they would say, but we gave you gifts. Right? Quid pro quo. Something for something. I want to talk about the 2016 election because it's not controversial. And what I want to say about it is that there's this one uh, there's this one great quote, really good quote, about how Hillary and, and, and Donald used to be friendly before they ran against one another, right? And so somebody says, he used to be friendly. In fact, Hillary Clinton went to your wedding." you know Why? And to quote it and I don't have the quote in front of me Donald Trump said, "Well, I gave to her 2008 campaign, and because I gave, she had to come to my wedding." right? Quid pro quo. Something for something. So this is the way that we live our lives, with this idea of something for something. You know where it started? It started with the Roman Empire. How many people have heard of the good old Roman Empire? That's where it started. Now I like to think that it was probably humanity that's done this, since we all do a little quid pro quo in our lives. But Roman Empire. Now the Roman Empire used to say this. Now listen to this language. They used to say, every good and perfect gift comes from Caesar. Where have you heard that kind of language before? Where have you heard it? Shout it out. In your Bible, right? The Bible is chock full of these little good political like... Yeah, thank you. Political nuggets. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, but that's, that's an aside. I digress. What's really going on here is when they say every good and perfect gift comes from Caesar, now you are thankful to the Caesar. so you will repay the Caesar with your money, and you'll repay the Caesar by acting on behalf of the Caesar. You will not mess with the Caesar. If you do, you'll be imprisoned. You'll be put in jail. You might even be killed. Right? Quid pro quo. Now, quid pro quo has a bit, of a, um, a bit of a mafia mentality to it, let's be honest, right? We've all seen enough goodfellas to know, right? What you do is you, um, yeah, I want protection, and I pay for that protection, and meanwhile, all the good stuff's going out the back door, and if I mess with the mafia or say anything bad about them, well, then I'm going to be hurt, then I'm going to be in trouble, then I might even die, right? Now, here's what gets me. Here is what gets me about a Christianity that is so personal. Christianity, that is so personal, doesn't look all that different from the mafia. doesn't look all that different from the Roman Empire. Because when it's personal, and it's all about us, and it's all about that sort of what I thought Zacchaeus used to mean, really what we're doing is Jesus is going, I did you a favor by dying, okay? And God used to hate you, but, now, but I died, and now God loves you. And so you owe me something. Right? In your thankfulness, you pay me back. And so we pay God back. And how do we pay God back? And I'm talking about this sort of immature kind of faith. We pay God back by walking on eggshells, by not messing up, by believing the right three things and not believing the wrong four things, right? By making sure that we attend church on time, but by not messing up over here. It goes back to being that good person, right? And God forbid we mess any of that up. If we mess any of that up or say the wrong thing or start believing or being for the right people, oh no, You're in danger of going to hell. Do you know where you're going to go? That's a quid pro quo religion. And I would dare say it's happening here in America more so than not. That's what I would dare say. This Zacchaeus story, it's not about a personal religion. It's not about quid pro quo at all. It's a completely different story altogether. I had to do some research and reading. And after I did that, I'm going to tell you about it. What do you think? (laughs) Y'all are a little quiet today. Everybody feeling good? Good. I'm going to do a little history. Does that sound okay for everybody? Yeah. Good. Good. All right. Anyway, so what's this story truly about? Well, here's the thing. When Rome took over your area, what they did is a token of like, hey, we want to show you that we haven't all the way taken over. What they do is they give some of uh, jobs to the, the, the local people. So the local people were Jews. This is Israel, right? And so Zacchaeus gets a, a, a job, and he gets a, a pretty important job as tax collector. Every good and perfect gift comes from Caesar. So what happens is that now you give your taxes to Caesar. So what Zacchaeus would do is he'd say, hey, you owe 40% to Caesar, and you owe another 10, 15, even 20% to me, because you are allowed to take. You're allowed to take, you're allowed to shake down people. All right, and so Zacchaeus is shaking down his own people, which makes him a really, really wealthy man, all right? Now here's the thing, he's hated by his own people. Absolutely, why? Because he's shaking his own people down. And the funny thing is, and it's not that funny but it is, the Roman Empire, they don't trust him either. Why doesn't the Roman Empire trust him? They're like, I won't trust anybody that shakedowns their own people. That's crazy, right? So all Zacchaeus has is money. All he has is wealth. That's it, nothing else, right? And so for him, he's like, this is what I gain. This is how, this is my stature. This is where I stand. This is how I'm blessed. This is what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for this money. And so when he hears about Jesus, he doesn't hear about Jesus because he's intrigued. He doesn't hear about Jesus because he thinks he's a bad person and Jesus is going to pray the sinner's prayer with him. He doesn't believe any of that. You know why he wants to go see Jesus? It's quid pro quo. He wants to invite Jesus to dinner. That is why. Now, why would Zacchaeus want to invite Jesus to dinner? Zacchaeus wants something. Jesus is leading this group of people, hundreds, maybe even thousands at this point. We don't know. And what if Jesus tells them to stop paying their taxes? What's going to happen? Zacchaeus loses his money. And that's the only thing he's got. That's his identity. That's what he's thankful for. So what he wants to do is say, Jesus, come over to my house, and I'm a man of way higher stature than you are. You're down here, and I'm up here, and you come to my house, and for that, you'll be thankful that I invited you over, and because you're thankful, quid pro quo, now you owe me something. And what I want you to do is I want you to make sure your people never hear the words that they don't have to pay their taxes. That keeps me thankful for my wealth, and it allows you to repay my uh, hospitality. Right? That's what happens. Here's what Jesus does. By Jesus saying up front, doing this whole, hey, Zacchaeus, you come down, which, by the way, um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that Zacchaeus really wasn't short and really wasn't in a tree. But think about the metaphor here. The metaphor is beautiful, right? It's Here's somebody who's always trying to get ahead, who's not quite a full human being. They're always trying to move up. They're always trying to undercut other people, and so they're up high, right? That's sort of what this, this is getting at. And This is what Jesus does. Jesus invites himself over. Now, in the Midrash, this is... This is um, What's this? Debated. It's debated. But this is fascinating. The Mirage says if you're inviting yourself, like if you invite yourself to someone's house, it means that they are good enough. That all is all that is required is their presence. So I'm gonna say that again. So so what Jesus is saying is um, by me inviting you over, regardless of you being outside of stature, what I'm saying is you are already good enough that all that is required of you is your presence. So Zacchaeus is like, "What? wait a second. You're making me a beneficiary. You're telling me that I should just be thankful that I'm already good enough, that I'm already loved? That's stupid. But there's nothing I can do. Now Jesus is the one. Now Jesus is the one that could say, Zacchaeus, you should repay me. And guess what? Because Jesus is Jesus, he's not going to do that, right? So basically what Jesus does is he pulls this cultural shift. And he goes, you want to do quid pro quo? I'm going to beat you to it. I'm coming to your house. And why am I coming to your house? Because you're worthy. Because you're worth it. Because of all that I want is your presence. That's it. No other reason. No, you can't pay me back. No, there's nothing you could do. Zacchaeus was surprised. You know what I think Jesus happened to Jesus too? I bet you he lost hundreds of followers that day. Why would he have lost hundreds of followers that day? Quid pro quo. I'll follow you so long as you don't convert with the enemy. I'll follow you so long as you're creating the uprising that will give us independence from the Roman Empire. I'll follow you so long as you're doing those things and the second Jesus crosses that line and says, "Hey, I love you regardless. You are now a beneficiary of my time and my presence." People are like, "I'm out." This isn't this isn't the something for something that I thought Jesus is shifting paradigms here. He's shifting the way we think about thankfulness. In fact, Diana Butler Bass says it best, and so I'm going to read the way she says it. She says, The Roman structure of gratitude collapsed when assigned roles disappeared and the conventional gifts of hospitality could not be repaid. Instead, Jesus imagines a place where oppressed and oppressor leave their stations and meet his friends, where forgiveness is practiced and gratitude expresses itself not in debt payment but in passing on a generous gift to others. And so what do we see Zacchaeus do? Do we see him go, I am blessed and I am thankful that Jesus came to my house? Well, he might have thought that, but how does he act it out? He goes, I'm repaying my community four times whatever I took. Guess what? It was impossible to do that. It would have bankrupted him four times over. He couldn't have done it. What's his point? He's saying, what I'm recognizing is my thankfulness extends beyond me and extends to the community. It extends to the people around me. My thankfulness comes when the people around me are blessed. It comes when the people around me advance. It comes when the people around me are successful. It comes when the people around me are raised up. And so we switch the idea of thankfulness. Thankfulness is not quid pro quo. I'm thankful for this, and so I give you something, and you give me something in return. Thankfulness is now pro bono. Anybody ever hear that word? You know what it means? It means for free or for the greater good. That's what it means. For free. For the greater good. So that's what Zacchaeus does. He goes, my thankfulness is now expressed and given to others for free. For the greater good. It's kind of beautiful, right? Jesus is shifting the way we think about thankfulness. So church, over the past three, four weeks, I've said, uh, I want us to move forward during this epiphany season, and I've asked us to serve at this church, right? I've asked us to do that. Why am I asking you to do that? Because I think you'll benefit, because it's going to be helpful for you? Maybe. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, it's going to impact this church quite a bit. It's going to be pro bono. It's going to be for the good of the whole. Last week, who was here last week? Last week. I'm surprised you came back. Thank you. Because I asked you all to give. I said, give money. And I said, give in a really boring way. Remember this? Why? Is it going to benefit you? I don't know. It might. But my guess is it's pro bono. It's for the greater good. Benefits us as a community. For that, we can be thankful. And so what I'm asking us to do today is to simply shift our mindset. And we're going to shift our mindset, we're going to move forward in such a way where we say, you know what, not, oh my gosh, I'm blessed and I'm thankful but I, uh, for me and for the things that I have, but oh my gosh, I'm thankful for this community, or for what this city is doing, or for what that person is doing. And what that does is it extends our contentment. It extends the way we're happy. It extends peace. And I would dare say it brings peace to God's kingdom. That's what I would say it does. Last week I I, we thanked our kids stuff volunteers. You know there's 40 kids downstairs last week. That's a lot of kids. Oh boy, yeah, you can clap for that if you want to. It's a good thing. (laughs) Oh, our volunteers they don't get anything for that. And guess what? Our parents they're not uh, buying stiff drinks after church for many people. Sometimes they are. But why do you do it? Well, we're thankful. And why are our Kids Stuff volunteers thankful? They're like, you know what? This helps these 40 kids move forward. That's good news, that's gratitude. It's pro bono for the greater good. Deacon's lined up here, and there's uh, 12, 13 of them that lined up, and we commissioned them, and they're all doing really interesting, good things. One of them is going to start a podcast soon. Another one is creating inter-community ways that we can connect. Another one just created data sets. They're going to help us understand our metrics and our budget better. Another one said, I'm going to find different groups in our community that need help, and we're going to connect with them. Why are they doing it? Simple. It's pro bono. It's for the greater good. That's why. There's nothing that they're going to benefit from. Look around the room. My guess is you don't know many people here. My guess is some of you are new or newer. That's my guess. What would it look like? What would it look like if we said, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for that person's story. Third row back, fourth chair over. I'm not looking at any of you, I promise. (laughs) Thankful for that story. You know what I'm thankful for, for that story? Maybe that person has one, or they walked in with shame, or they walked in feeling broken, or they walked in feeling angry, or they walked in feeling doubtful, or maybe they just walked in and are scared to death to be back at church. And whatever the case may be, I'm thankful for that person. Not only am I thankful for that person, I want to see that person thrive. Not because I know them, or there's something at stake, or they can help me, but because it's pro bono. It's for free. It's for the greater good. I'm like Zacchaeus way too often. Anybody else want to raise their hand to that one? You don't have to. This book, I wrote this book, right? <laughs> and I feel, like, um, I feel like it's like the best thing that's happened and the worst thing. It's the worst thing, um, and I'm going to tell you why. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was with my publisher. And they were like, sell more books. And I was like, give me more money. And they were like, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. And so what did I do, right? Uh, I emailed a bunch of people, and I emailed them because I was like, um, hey, we should connect and blah, 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 and I didn't do that for any reason except that I thought they might be helping me sell more books. (laughs) Right? And this was definitely quid pro quo. It was something for something. Now, here's the deal. I don't think advancing in business is bad. I think quid pro quo works in our world in a lot of ways. But what was our mindset? What was my mindset? My mindset wasn't, I have a story to tell that I think is worthwhile that's going to help people. No. It was, I'm going to do something that's going to benefit me so my publisher can say that I'm good. There's a giant difference. And the reason that I confess this to you is because I don't think I'm the only one. I think there are others of us out there that have that same idea. And what if we walk out the store for this week only, shift our mindset to the mindset, uh, not that there's a Christ and the Christ says, guess what, you you were hated and now you're, you're loved so long as you don't mess up but a Christ who says, you know what? I walk with you in your pain. I walk with you in your suffering. I walk with you in your celebration. And not only do I walk with you, I'm walking with everybody, regardless of who they are. Why? Because everybody's made perfectly, regardless of who they are. And when you suffer, I suffer too. In fact, I've suffered to the point of death. And guess what? Death doesn't get the last word. It's life. And you know what life looks like on the other side? It's pretty freaking amazing when the focus is not on you. And when the focus is in all of us. And we get to celebrate bringing a peace that God intends together. So as we get ready to take communion here in a little bit, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that we have a God who says, you know what? It's not quid pro quo. Everything that I've done is for your greater good. And so pass that goodness on to others. And that's a simple amen. Amen? Amen. All right. Then let's pray. God, thank you uh, for the gift that is Jesus and the gift of grace. Um, and God, thank you for telling us we're loved and we're good and we're made perfect. And God, thank you that um, Thank you that you, you partner with us to bring peace, and the, the peace of pro bono, the peace of, of bringing life for the greater good. Thank you for all that. And thank you for the fact that you don't dismiss us when we fail, and we don't bring anything to the table, that you still love us anyway, that we are held by you that we are good in your eyes. Thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.